Amen. You may be seated. We do thank you for being here this morning, especially those families uh, that come when the children are being dedicated. And uh, I tell you, I, I love when we dedicate children because I believe that we're hopefully instilling in the parents, maybe even the grandparents, all those who make up the life of that child, uh, that it has to be intentional what we do when it comes to raising them in the ways of the Lord. Because there's so many other messages out there in our world that we have to stay determined and, and intentional as it relates to raising them in the admonition of the Lord. Because nothing else in this world is moving in that direction. And it's so vital. So I really appreciate you parents, grandparents, all of you who make up that fa that, uh, the family of that child. That you'll continue to uh, be as intentional as you were to be here today to be there for them in the coming days. Today we're looking at financial provision, and we're going to go ahead and jump in. Look at the introduction there on your outline. The economy of God seems to be summarized in Philippians 4.19. This verse is one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible. It seems to encompass all other promises. As usual, Paul gives practical application in verses 10 through 18, then gives the culminating, uh, culminating provision of the application in verse 19. And verse 19 says this, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So when we see this verse, I think many of us have probably, some of you may have memorized it. Maybe that's something that you know that uh, when you think of the Lord and the way he provides, you're grateful for that verse. But there's one thing I want us to look at, and there's a phrase that we see in this verse when it says, according to his riches, according to his riches. Now, the closest example of this is really when you think about the wealth of Elon Musk. He's the richest man in the United States, or at least he was yesterday when I began looking at some numbers, okay? I know that changes it periodically. He's worth approximately $160 billion. Now, that may impress you, but you need to understand back in 2021, he was actually worth almost $320 billion. And so some of that has kind of gone away for, from his wealth. But in 2021... If he were a country, just he himself, he would be the 40th richest nation in the 195 nations of the world. Now think about that kind of wealth. He makes approximately $40 million a day, approximately $2 million an hour, approximately $30,000 a minute, and approximately $500 a second. Why don't you think about this? Suppose this is a $1,000 bill. Now, they haven't made $1,000 bills, I think, since 1969, but let's just pretend it is. Now, I want you to think about this. By the time this bill reaches the floor, he would have already earned what would have fallen here. Now, think about that. $1,000 already come and gone. Now, don't pick that up. That's, not, that's mine, okay, at the end here. <laughs> but I want you to understand, that, that's amazing. If Elon Musk wrote a check for $1,000, he would be given to you out of his riches. Now, that's out of his riches. If he gave you a blank check and said, whatever you need, whatever you want, that would be according to his riches, meaning it would be nothing for him to do so. You literally, with the wealth he's capable of producing, you literally could buy anything this world offers. 
Another way to examine this source of wealth is to compare it to yours. Consider that the average American of modest wealth has a net worth of $160,000. Elon Musk, we said, is worth today around $160 billion. His wealth is one million times larger, which means that if something costs you $100,000, it costs him 10 cents. Now think about that. Get your mind around that. For example, a new Lamborghini would cost you $30,000, but to him, the value would be more like three cents. Does that not just kind of mess your head up a little bit? It gets worse. A nice home valued for you around $2 million would cost him just $2. You might buy a plane ticket on a Boeing 747 for $1,000. Elon Musk could buy six 747s for what it would mean to you. I mean, it's just crazy money when you think about it. Elon Musk would have no problem taking care of you with his riches. Verse 19 tells us that God who owns it all, and that means, that means he can take care of us. God will meet our needs based on this, not from his riches, but according to his riches, which means there's no problem for him to handle that. And he can do it much more effective than, than Elon Musk. It means that he is fully capable that if there is a need that you have, it can be easily met by him. Now, some of you may be thinking, why is this verse not working for me? How many of you have thought that before <laughs> or thinking about it right now? Well, really, when you think about it, you could be sitting here saying, well, I have needs. I love God. I go to church. I pray. I read the Bible. I do everything I think is expected of me. But why does this verse seem to work for others and doesn't seem to work for me? Well, there's one thing that we know about Scripture. Behind every promise in God's Word, there is a principle. And every week that we've been talking about finances, here's what we have found. We have discovered, and I don't know about you, but this very important thing that you need to understand is that God's blessings many times just flow from the knowledge and wisdom that He gives us. You go to the Proverbs, you begin to live out the Proverbs, and you do exactly what God's Word says, guess what? From just the practical aspect of following His obedience, following Scripture, you know what you'll find? You'll find that it, it the way He gives you, the words He gives you, will, will produce the blessing itself, which sometimes we want Him to bestow these extracurricular blessings, don't we? We want him to bring it out of nowhere and all this. But most of the time, the blessings that we experience in our lives is just simple obedience to his word, especially in the area of finances. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be all morning. And again, remember, behind every promise, there's a principle. Paul's going to show us this in Philippians. So, so, so many times we as Christians, as I said, want to claim the promises, but we're not willing to live by the principles. But the two do go together. For verse 19 to be a reality in our lives, we must. And here's the precedent. Look on your outline. The precedent is compassion. Compassion. You say, well, how does that relate to anything with finances? How does that relate to anything about my needs being met? Well, let me just say this. 
if you didn't have Philippians chapter 4 in here, you might not see how it's attached to anything. Because Philippians chapter 4, basically when Paul talks about needs being met, he's basically saying it starts with a heart that is motivated by something. He starts with the heart. And he starts with this idea of compassion. The word compassion literally means moved by a feeling of sympathy or sorrow to alleviate suffering. It's a move. It's a heart move. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, it says this. Paul says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's basically saying here, God's, God met his need through the church at Philippi. Now, what's amazing about the church at Philippi is it was not a rich church by any means. If you were to go and say, well, where's Philippi located? It's in modern-day Greece today, but back then it would be considered in the, in the Macedonian province. And everything that we've studied during the first century about the Macedonian province is they were going through great poverty. Great poverty. Matter of fact, there's a lot of talk about the Macedonian gift given to the, those in Jerusalem all through Scripture. And Paul uses an example of where the heart should be motivated towards even giving out of our poverty to those needs. And he's talking about that again here. So from a, he, Paul is basically saying this need was met from a very unlikely place. But it was moved, and the motivation to receive the gift was moved by compassion to the point that they reached beyond their own struggle and even their own needs. And he's basically saying they were an example of a church that gave. And Paul uses them as an example all through many, in many places in the Scripture. God met his need not from the rich, but from the poor. Secondly, for verse 19 to be a reality in your life, we must have the prerequisite. And here's really what it comes down to, and that word's contentment. Contentment. How many of you agree that that's a big word to live up to in this day and age? I mean, think about it. We're, we're almost programmed not to be content. We're kind of programmed. I mean, all advertisement, everything is bent to create discontentment in us. You've heard us say that many times, and a lot of times we don't realize that. And so all of a sudden we're sitting there and we're kind of pulled in all these different directions. But before we can become a giver, before we give of ourselves, we must learn to be content with the things that we have. And the church at Philippi had to do this, and even Paul had to do this when it came to his life. And he shares that with us. So the first thing we see here is Paul's satisfaction. Part of Paul's maturing in Christ was learning to be content. Now, let me tell you this about your own Christian walk. You're never to be content where you are spiritually. How many of you realize that in this life, we're moving on a journey towards basically to, to the whole idea of becoming more like Christ? And we should never be content because there's always a flesh bearing down, uh, trying to keep us from going in that direction. There's always an enemy out there. There's always a world competing for those things in our lives that keep us from moving forward. And so Paul definitely would say, never be content where you are spiritually. Keep striving to go forward. And he says that. If you look over at Philippians chapter 3, he says this, verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
He says in verse 13, I do not count myself to have already apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, reaching for those things that are in front of me, I press towards the goal of the prize for the upward call of Jesus Christ. He's saying he's pressing, he's moving, he's striving. But then when it comes to the other areas of our lives, especially as it relates to finances, Paul in chapter 14 is basically telling us that when it comes to the material world, we must learn to be content. And listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. He, he's basically saying, I can go either way with this. For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. A that means to live humbly. And I know how to live abound. That means live in prosperity or prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I've been in any kind of situation you want to put me in when it comes to my finances. The key to understanding and being where God desires me to be is learning to be content. Yet in the world in which we live, we have all these messages that are digging up discontentment in us. And Paul says, my satisfaction greatly comes from when I've learned to be content in these things. Just as us, it appears that learning to be content was difficult for even Paul. If it's difficult for him, I don't know about you, but it, think about what he says next. He's talking about not only his satisfaction and where it comes from, but also Christ's strength. His strength. Most of us can quote the next verse in the, in, in the passage here. But yet most of us don't learn that it's tied to contentment. How many of you know the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? We know that verse. We've memorized it. It gets us through life, right? But yet it's in the context of contentment. Of contentment. It's amazing when you think of it from that perspective. Learning to be content with Christ's strength is a prerequisite to the principle of giving. You know why? Because the flesh wants what the flesh wants. Right? It does. And it does, it craves, and it wants, and it moves towards those things. So the prerequisite for, for the promise in verse 19 is contentment. But then we come to the principle. The principle is to give. In, Matthew, excuse me, in Luke chapter 6, from the message, it's a paraphrase of God's word, but this is a great paraphrase. Here's what it says. Give away your life, and you will find life given back. But not merely giving back, giving back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. And he's basically saying that's what our lives should look like. God is not obligated. I want you to think about this. God's not obligated to meet my needs if I'm not obeying what he's told me to do. I mean, think about that. Look at that going forward. He, why is he under any obligation if he says, here's the best way, here's where you need to go with it, here's how you need to live your life by it. If we're not doing it, why should we expect him to bless us in that way or to meet that particular need? God's word seems to imply that we can, uh, seems to imply that we can't shortcut, the, we can't shortcut the blessings and the promises of God in our lives. We must live by the principles. Next. The value of generosity. What, what's the value? When I, when I eventually get to the point where I want to be generous with those things God's blessed me with, what does it look like? Well, number one, it's an encouragement to others. It will be our encouragement to others. The Philippian church, was, as I said, was not a wealthy church. 
It was poverty stricken. Yet they were generous and had a generous heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You stepped up when no one else would. For even at Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. You were there for me. I could count on what God was doing in my life through the gift that you gave. Boy, that's a powerful statement there. Wouldn't it be cool to know that, that people could depend on you because of the gift that you give to meet the need or to, to meet the mission that some, that's been placed on someone's life? Paul said their gift encouraged him. I want you to think about this. Have you ever received a gift that encouraged you? Have you ever received a gift? I mean, it just blessed your heart in a way you never thought it would. I mean, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I've received those kind of gifts. And I've learned the feeling that it brings to one to receive something like that. And then I finally got to a point in my life where I started trusting God enough to, to be the one who would get those gifts. And you know what I found? It's even greater to see the joy in someone's life when you're able to give those gifts than even when I received it, which I thought nothing could match that. But God wants so much more for us. And that is the way. That is the path he desires us to go. Giving can be a great source of encouragement. What happens when we give? Here's another result. It expands ministry. It expands ministry. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, you are partners with me in ministry. Now, how were they partners? They were, they were literally, they didn't travel with him. Most of the time, they were 800 miles away from where he was, yet he said they were partners. How did they partner with him? By prayer and meeting needs. They gave of the resources and they prayed. And we can do the same thing. See, not every one of us will be able to go into the mission field. Not every one of us can go. But what can we do? We can still partner. We can pray. We can give. We can put all that out there that God can use it in a, in a, in a, in a special way. Thirdly, the results of giving. Giving it makes us more like Christ. If someone came to me and said, okay, what's God's purpose for my life? Well, God's purpose for your life will always come by way of Jesus. By way of Jesus. Your salvation begins with Jesus. After salvation is given by, through Jesus, guess what comes next? God the Father desires us to become more like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. You say, well, what? you know, we, we talked about the words that these parents would like to instill in these children's lives, and those are beautiful things that we heard. But the one thing, the one thing that when we look at the name of Jesus and we hear the name of Jesus, it should spark our interest, it should open us up to see something, is just the idea that he gave. He gave. He gave it all. So we see that it makes us more like him. Next, the value of generosity. It is our investment in the future. Investment in the future. Giving benefits both the giver as well as the receiver. We know that. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He, he's saying, your gift not only has met a need in my life, the gift you gave is going to go far for you also. It, it's, going, it's going to be powerful what God's going to do with the gift that you gave. 
And, and what does that mean? Well, if you look at verse 17, the last part, it says that phrase, fruit that abounds. In the Greek, it literally means accumulated interest. It's the idea of accumulated interest. How many of you like accumulated interest when it comes to your investment? That is a good thing. Trust me, you want that, okay? And, and basically, he's saying, I know my God, and my God, based on what you did out of giving sacrificially or giving obediently, my God is going to take that and he's going to do tremendous things with it. The, the accumulated interest may go as far as expanding the kingdom. It may be to touch another life, to, to see another life come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Or it may be something he's going to do in heaven when we get there and we see that all the things that we did obediently and sacrificially for his glory will be revealed in heaven in such a way, I believe, it will blow our minds. It will blow our minds. What God is capable of our little to make so large. See, the Philippian church, here's what we know, had a reputation of generosity. They gave out of their poverty. They gave more than they really were capable of giving. You see, it's amazing that even back then, and this is where you need to understand the cultural thing of what was going on. In the first century, by the time all this was going down, the reason for a lot of the Christians' poverty was the fact that they were turning to Christ, and guess what? They were being persecuted by losing their jobs. They were losing their livelihoods. There was all kinds of problems that came along. And so the Philippian church, think about it. They had such a reputation for giving that we're reading about them over 2,000 years later. How many of you would like to have a reputation that's good that it's remembered 2,000 years later? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Now, what in your life, I want you to think about this, will stand the test of time. Are you touching the generations to come? Are we as a church family touching those generations to come? Are we leaving a legacy? Let me say this. I believe churches more than ever need to be investing in the generations to come. We're not the same nation. I'm sorry to disappoint you when I say this. We're not the same nation we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I'm here to tell you, there's some of those things that needed to be corrected. I think all of us can agree on that. But the fact is, we have definitely moved away from the essential truth, God's truth, absolute truth, the biblical truth of God. We as a nation, we have definitely moved away from that. And, and the thing that we need to understand is there's generations that are going to come from us. And many of them are sitting right here in, in this room. Many of them are up here on this stage. That we, we, stay, we need to invest more in them than any generation, I believe, before that's come through America. <laughs> Because we have moved further and further and further away from the foundational truth of God's word. And we better be investing and stealing and getting it in their lives. Now, this church. Let me tell you a little bit about this church. Some of you are new to this church. This church, a little over 25 years ago, began making moves to reach the next generation. They did. This church was doing it. Listen, when other churches weren't doing it. And I'm not necessarily bragging necessarily on this church. I'm just telling you that we as a church made sacrifices over 25 years ago that is resulting to the point that we have the privilege now to see a stage full of young families dedicating their children to the Lord. We made intentional strides to be where we are today. 
And it was one of them things that, you know what, a lot of our older members did. And, and I was kind of with them. I understand where they were coming from. But listen, they set aside their preferences to be what we could do, to put us in a position to reach future generations. And guess what? Today we're reaping the fruit of that. All the young families that are coming here, we're, we're given the privilege to equip them and, and be there and to help them as they go out into this world that's moving further and further away from God's word and his truth. This church stood in the gap and said, yeah, it's not my preference, but let's move in that direction. And one of the questions we asked many years ago was this, what would it take to reach your children and your grandchildren? What would it take and you know what kind of, you know what we kind of, the mindset we took on here? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And some of it was outside of our box. Wouldn't you agree? Some of it was outside of our comfort zone. And guess what? It still is for many of us. <laughs> but God, you can't deny what God is doing. And we got to continue that process for the generations to come. Next, the value of generosity is our sacrifice to God. Jesus was a sacrificial giver. He gave it all. He gave his life. So what are you sacrificing for the kingdom? Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. Indeed, I have received all and abound. I am, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus, okay, the things sent from you. I know how to say this. It's just when I'm in front of y'all, uh, my tongue gets slipped up. But anyway, and here's what he says. Here's what it was. It was special to me. I want you to think about that. Your sacrifice, you there in that church who stepped up, it was special to me, but it was also special to the heart of God. That, that's good giving right there, isn't it? Here's what he says. He says, it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to whom? To God himself. What you did pleased the heart of God. And what he's doing here, he's associating that with the Old Testament sacrifices. That whole idea of sweet-smelling aroma. For some of us, it would be barbecuing out back. How many of you go out and, you, and your neighbors are cooking, and it's like, man, that smelled really good. <laughs> but what you think about it, the sacrifices they were doing at the temple and uh, there, the, the, there was that. There was a sense of worship. There was something that was bringing that. He's saying, when you gave, when you gave, it not only blessed the receiver, it blessed the heart of God. Good giving right there. And he tells us that. So what can we give? We can give our attention. We can give our prayers. We can give our time. We can give of our resources. Next, we move from the principle to the promise. Now keep in mind, as I've already said, that we cannot expect the promise to be fulfilled if we're not living the principles. So what is the provision? It is to receive. Look at verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So the source, look at the source there, and my God will. The source is God. But it's not just God. What does he say? My God. My God. Let me tell you how that should be written or how that should be said. And my God. It, the term here is a forceful expression and a term of endearment. My God. You hear it? That's what he's trying to communicate. He's talking about a personal God. He's not talking about an impersonal force. He's a person. He's a personal God. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. What? Our Father. Our Father. 
not some impersonal figure or force. Our Father. He is aware of all the needs. He is a caring, consistent, and capable Father. That's who we're crying out to. That's what we're making our needs to. That's who we're responding to when we do give sacrificially. Not only the source of the promise, but also the scope of the promise. We'll meet, what? All your needs. It does not say that He may meet your needs. And it doesn't say, but it does say He will meet your needs. But it's also, He's not saying wants and desires. How many of you wish sometimes it were that? And God, I pray based on the authority of your word that you'll meet my needs. And I'd like to add, if I could, my wants and my desires. <laughs> no, he's talking about needs. He's talking about fulfilling the basic parts of our needs. He's basically saying, I'm going to take care of you. And then there are many people who misuse verse 19. There's two categories not included. Number one, the consequences of your laziness is not included here. I want you to think about it. God expects us to work. It was mentioned not long ago from the pulpit here, not long ago, that um, work was not a curse in the garden. Did you know that? Work was an outlet of fulfillment, abundant living, satisfaction. It was in the garden. I mean, think about that. That wasn't the curse. The hardship of the work became the problem, okay? But work, he expects us to work. Verse 19 is not saying to sit around with folded hands and say, my God will provide, I'm just trusting Jesus. God has not promised to meet your needs if you sit around and do nothing. Matter of fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Listen to this. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. Wow, that's in the Bible? Yep, right there. Now, it's not talking about those who are not capable. Of course, you've got to use common sense in this. There's some people who aren't capable. Yeah, you take care of that. It would equate to taking care of the widows and the orphans and all that. Yeah, there's times when we're called to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. But as a general rule, that's what the Bible says. Here's another thing we talk about dedicating children today. I think one of the biggest mistakes that parents make today, and it, does, it, gives, them, it gives our children probably the biggest injustice as it relates to our raising. Number one, we want to raise them to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's, that's it. But there's something that comes close to that, and that's the idea of not instilling in them entitlement. We should never instill in our children entitlement. We instill in them responsibility. And the Bible points to that in so many different places. And it's basically, here, here's what I see. This is the equation of what I see. One thing leading to the, the most satisfying, fulfilling life. Listen, I believe, based on my experience, is to move our children from being entitled to responsible to giver. I believe so much of that. And the most well-adjusted people that I come across are those who are not entitled. They step up to the responsibility. But not only that, they care to step further. They're givers. They're givers. That is what I believe God intends for all of us to be. Second category, not including the promise, the coverage of all your wants. He says, my God shall supply all your needs, not your wants, not necessarily the desires. Now, is he capable of bringing about the wants? 
and the desires. Fully capable. Fully capable. But you know what I've noticed about some of my desires in my life? When I got those desires, they didn't turn out to be blessing. They turned out to be bondage at times. They turned out not be what I thought they'd be. They, become, they, they became something else. And we, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And we need to consider that. God is not guaranteed to provide for you all the luxuries of life. God is interested in you having your needs met. In other words, God does not say, you go out, waste your money and luxuries, and you, when you don't have enough money to pay for it, I'll supply them. Nowhere do you see that. If we blow all our money and our needs aren't being met, and we say, God, your promise is not true, that is not God's fault. I remember many years ago, this person called me and said, Pastor, I've been attending your church for some weeks now, and I, I just need to talk to you. And, and basically, she said, I, I've got some needs. i got some needs that aren't being met. So I get in the car, work out a time. I go over. Her husband's sitting there. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I go in. I'm having a meeting with her. He's watching TV. He doesn't take his eyes off the TV the whole time I'm there. I'm like, well, hey, how you doing? You know, but anyway, I'm carrying on the conversation with him. Pastor, we have all these needs. We can't, we can't pay the power bill. We can't do this. We can't do this. I'm looking at a TV screen three times as big as the one I have at my house. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and, and they not only have cable, they got the pay stuff on, on top of that. that. There were two little dogs, Cousin B, sitting on their little princess little bed things. I mean, I thought they weren't real, to be honest with you. They were just sitting in there. I think they had these gold-plated uh, necklaces, or not necklaces on the dog, collars, excuse me. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? And, and you know something? I got back in the car and I thought, I wonder if that's what I look like to God. You ever wonder that sometimes? I, I mean, I went away at first thinking, man, mm, messed up people sitting in the house. And then I started looking at myself. How does God see me? What, is, what, is, what do I look like to him? He doesn't say need. He says needs. Not only the source and the scope of the promise, but also the supply according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The word according. He's not saying out of his riches. He's saying according. And, and what's really amazing about that word, I did a lot of research on this word. It implies direction. You don't think it would be, but it, it implies direction. And directions it gives, if you look at the whole context of the last part of that verse, are from above and through. So how is he going to meet the need? From above, God the Father, through whom? His Son. His Son. It all begins and ends with the Son. But it's provided by whom? The Father. The promise is supplied from two directions, from the Father by way of the Son, just like our salvation. So here's the application this morning. In God's Word, the obedience to the principle precedes the outpouring of the provision. We see that so many times. And a lot of times the provision comes just because we're living obediently. It's a natural, practical application that comes from it. So, you cannot claim verse 19 unless you're conforming to the preceding verses. The happiest people are the most generous people that I've found. The most miserable people are those who are just stingy. Stingy with their time, their resources, and their affections. That's what I found personally when it comes to this life. 
So here's what I want to do as we close. I want to ask you, if you will, just bow your heads right now. And I don't know where you are this morning. I, I have no idea. It's just like we said every week on this financial series. We, we're, most of us in this room, we're in so many different places financially. But here's what I want you to pray with me this morning. I want you to pray for a heart of generosity. I want you to pray for a heart that is moved in such a direction that generosity can flow from your life. So here, here, here's the prayer. Dear God, I want to have a heart of generosity. I want to have a giving spirit. Not just a taking spirit, a giving spirit. Help me to be generous with compliments and praise. Help me to be generous with my time. I want to give to your work by giving of my time, of my effort, of my finances. I want to be a partner in ministry of my with my church and other places you call me to. I want to be an encouragement to others. I want to invest in the future. I want to be more like Jesus. Father, I just pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that we will begin to get on that track to living out the principles of your word in such a way that we can see clearly the provisions. And Father, I just pray for each one of us in this room. I help us to realize that our greatest need in this room is not to have more that we can give, but to receive from your son salvation. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, maybe they've never taken the time to, to, to acknowledge who you are and the, and the provision of Jesus coming to this world to die for our sins, I just pray, Lord, you'll just help them, number one, to, to, to come into full realization of what that really means. And Father, for us who, who've gone past that, we know that, we've accepted that, help us to live accordingly. That we saw Jesus give of himself sacrificially to us. Help us to live out that example in and through our own lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We do want to thank you for being here this morning, especially those who came uh, with those beautiful children. And uh, please know that uh, uh, we're going to do everything in our power to, to see God allow us to invest in those children's lives. Thank you all for being here this morning. You're dismissed.